Again, Father, we're so grateful uh, to come again uh, into your presence. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful time in worship we've already had. And yet, Lord God, we move again uh, to hear your word as well. And again, our desire is, is not just to hear uh, just another message. Our desire, Lord God, is to have our lives changed. And we know, Lord God, that there's many things uh, in our life that's uh, trying to stop that process from happening. Uh, either because we are doubting, or either because the enemy, he is, uh, is throwing those seeds contrary to your word in our hearts. Uh, we're setting all those things aside now. Uh, Lord God, we pray that you would help us to dig out and root out all those weeds that try to choke your word. Uh, we pray again that every single morsel, Lord God, that sets uh, roots in our heart today uh, through your word, Lord God, that it is indeed eternal, Lord God, uh, that we may live our lives differently uh, than the way that we uh, walked into this place today. Uh, so we love you. We receive your word with joy. In honor, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. I'm not sure how many of you know where Sueta is, Sueta. It happens to be an area in North Africa. Uh, in fact, it is uh, directly, to, uh, directly to the east of Morocco, of all places. Uh, but one thing interesting about Sueta is the fact that it is actually a part of Spain. It is a part of Spain that's in Africa still. As a matter of fact, uh, excuse me, David, I'm gonna, let's go ahead and switch to the podium mic because that's going to drive me crazy. Let's just get that done now. Oh, thank you so much. So it is uh, a part of Spain there in, in Africa. And... Um, one of the things that's interesting about Soweto is that it is also, it has its own sovereignty. So it is autonomous. Uh, even though they are part of Spain, they still get to make their own decisions. Uh, that they can decide whether or not to be annexed by another country. In fact, uh, Morocco had asked if they would be annexed by them. And 87% uh, of, uh, of this little uh, small town, city, state, whatever you want to call it, uh, being a part of Spain, these people, they said no. Uh, we, we don't want to be a part of Morocco. We want to remain uh, as a part of Spain. But one of the things that's interesting about Soweto, this, this is the interesting thing, is that people from all over uh, Africa, so to speak, they try to get to Soweto to become citizens. They come from all over the place. In fact, uh, there was one, this one man who traveled all the way from Liberia to become a citizen. Uh, the other interesting thing is that they, in essence, when they allow people to become citizens, they will only allow 47 to 49 people to become citizens. This one gentleman, he came at a time when there were 700 applicants. 700 applicants. Uh, but yet this man traveled from Liberia for a chance to become a citizen of Soweto. Uh, but the fascinating thing, uh, uh, above all, is the fact that this man traveled from Liberia to Soweto, from Liberia to northern Africa, not by train, 
not by truck, not by bicycle, not by skateboard, but he walked. The journalist asked him, how long did it take you to travel uh, from Liberia to Soweto on foot? He said, one year. One year. In other words, he's telling us that there was something so great in Soweto that he was willing to walk uh, almost 3,000 miles to get there. That, uh, that indeed, that if you can imagine uh, that all the lands and all the countries that he had to go through by foot, all of the heat uh, that he experienced, all of that just for a chance. He didn't even know if he would make it in. In fact, uh, at that time, he did not make it into Soweto. 3,000 miles, one year later, and he finds out, no, you cannot come in. But yet he says, I have a hope uh, that if I apply next time, that maybe, just maybe, I can make it in. Can you imagine the hardships he had to experience just for a shot at a better life? Here for this man that uh, he experienced this in-betweenness. In other words, uh, he wasn't, he didn't want to be where he was from. He was living in the right now, but yet he was trying to grasp for the future. The, the in-between is a place where you not want to be, where you don't want to be. But yet you know that one day there's going to be a place that you want to be. Uh, many of us in here today, uh, we have walked lots of miles in life. Uh, that we have left uh, a place of comfort uh, to try to get to a better way of living. Uh, that oftentimes that what happens is uh, that when we live in this in-between, uh, we don't want to be there and we're not where we need to be. That when we live in this in-between, that sometimes it's hard. And you know how it is. Uh, I tell you this because I know how it is. Uh, that sometimes when you live in the in-between and you can't yet get to, to that future, that a lot of times what we end up doing, we end up going back. We end up going back because uh, that's what we know. We end up going back because uh, that future is just too far and too hard. Uh, that the life that I'm experiencing right now is so tough for me that I'd rather be more comfortable enslaved than I can possibly be with the freedom that I'll have just by working a little harder. Well, this is what this message is about today, living in the in-between. Uh, the, the fact that we live this life just kind of right here in the middle. I don't want to be where I used to be, but, but God has more for me, so I, here I am kind of stuck right here. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. 
And if you're writing anything down, here's the first thing I want you to write down. Faith demands that we live in the in-between with confidence. Faith demands that we live in the in-between with confidence. Here it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. So we are always of good courage, of confidence. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We exist, if you're a follower of Christ, in the in-betweenness of this life and uh, of God's presence. Uh, so here we are in this life, but yet God's total presence is, is yet out of our grasp. So here we are today existing here in the in-between. The scripture tells us here when, when Paul says that uh, we, so we are always of good courage, he says, so we are always confident, he says. We're always confident, right? But how can knowing that we are not yet with the Lord spur on good confidence? How can that espouse uh, in us uh, the fact that we are not yet with the Lord? It doesn't sound like something that we can really be confident about when you think about all the different ramifications there. The fact remains that in our passage today, that Paul, he had some personal struggles. He had some things going on, some afflictions uh, that he experienced while he was out there ministering. He said uh, here in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 8, he says that it was so difficult that they were utterly burdened beyond their strength. He said there in 1 Corinthians, I mean 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, that it was so tough. He says that at times they despise the spirit of life itself. But listen to this. He says that they were so overwhelmed with the stuff that they were going through that it felt like they had received a death sentence. Wow. Can a situation be so bad that it feels like someone has thrown the death penalty your way? Man, I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I'm, I'm going to let it all hang out. Hey, you know that uh, there was one time that I had, a, I, I had a job, and I may have told some of you about this before, that this job, that it was so tough, and I said anything would be better than doing this. Yes, I'm qualified for it, but man, I just, you know, I, I told you the very first week on this job, I said, uh-oh, there was a ceiling over my head. I said, I'm in trouble. And no, it wasn't a prophecy. It was just a fact. And you know how it is sometimes that we feel as if we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. No matter which way we go, you know, there's going to be trouble. And Paul uses, however, this strong word, he says, despair, to describe how he felt. What does despair mean? It means uh, a loss psychologically to be in great difficulty and in great 
doubt. Have you ever been there before? If you haven't, you just hold on and, and it's going to come knocking at your door. So a situation can be so bad uh, that it begins to affect your mind and cause doubt sometimes about everything. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you get those seeds of doubt in your hand, in your head, and sometimes you begin to question the people around you that you thought loved you. You thought that everything was good, uh, you know, things are, are not going on, uh, let's say, at the job, and then you come home, and then you're wondering about those folks there. You wonder about the folks in your own household because this is how the enemy affects us. He affects us because he's trying to just cause us to destroy ourselves. Why? So he can accuse you. But listen, right? Uh, we must listen to this. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Uh, this is what Paul said on the other hand. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. In other words, Paul is saying that, man, we are right on the edge of despair. But you know what? I'm not going there. I'm not going to cross that line. And you know, this is, this is one of the places some people struggle with. Did you know that? Uh, some people who have uh, suicidal tendencies, uh, that when they begin to doubt in one major area in their life, what happens is everything else seems to come crushing around them, and then they keep getting pushed further and further to the edge, and then finally says, since nobody else is going to push me, then I'm going to just jump. But Paul says, uh, even though we have been struck down, uh, we have not been destroyed. Life sometimes feels like a series of good news and bad news scenarios. It seems like we are allowed to enjoy a bit of good news until a bit of bad news come our way. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, around around in these circles. One comedian once said, uh, I have just gotten the greatest news followed by the absolutely worst news I can possibly get. He says, the good news is that my mother-in-law has finally moved out. And then he says, uh, the reason that my mother-in-law moved out was because my house burned down. Who can endure this constant cycle of news uh, that always has churns, uh, churn us around when we least expect it? Uh, what is the bad news you have to deal with today, this week? What has thrown you off balance? Uh, but we gain confidence through the concreteness of our faith, uh, right? Uh, the concrete, that which is bound together, that which is strong, right? When you build a house, you build it on a concrete foundation, right? So that we have that confidence through the concreteness of our faith. Verse 7 here, 2 Corinthians 5. The word so that we have here, which begins verse 6, first of all, uh, could also be translated as therefore. Uh, this is a point of reference. 
Paul rejected, again, the despair and hopelessness of a situation that seems insurmountable. In this life, Paul says, we groan, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2, we groan due to our longing to be where we are totally loved and all things are perfect. That's the other thing. Well, I, you know, if I had enough of this stuff here, at least I can be with Jesus Christ where he loves me and life would be perfect. But I'm telling you, the reason that you're experiencing this is because the adversary hates you. He wants to destroy you because he knows that God has some great things waiting for you in your life. So if you are in despair today, I want you to know that we do not walk by sight. We walk by faith. I want you to know this, that God has something great in store for your life. So we have confidence because we know uh, this is not the way life will always be. Whatever you're going through, whatever you experience, understand uh, that this is not the way it's always going to be. Amen? Uh, you have to keep your eyes looking ahead, right? Uh, it's like, uh, uh, if my sons don't mind me using this, uh, uh, this illustration, because I don't do much of it anymore, it's like cutting the grass, right? And you want to cut the grass in a straight line. Well, one of the ways you cut the grass in a straight line, you have to know you're going from point A to point B, but you got to keep your eyes on point B if you want a straight line. If you want a crooked line, you know, you just look down and you just make all kind of crooked things in the grass. But if you want a straight line, you have to keep your eye on the goal. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, We know through Christ we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter says that, look here, yes, everything is going to be good, so you just hold on because you have a seat waiting for you in heaven. Verse 6, he says, in this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So God, again, he tells us, he says that even though a life may seem a little difficult now, he says, hold on. He says, hold on because uh, there is something better in store for you. And, and not only that, he's also saying this. If you can imagine with me, brothers and sisters, he's saying, hold on because other folks are watching you. There's someone else that needs to be encouraged by your life. So if you give up now, what's going to happen is those folks who are looking at you in your life, they may give up. Because they're looking at you as being a tower of strength, as a tower of person who loves Jesus Christ. But God tells us all to hold on because I have a seat reserved for you in heaven. So if we are to live in the in-between, we must live by faith and not by what we see. Right? Uh, we got to live by faith and not by what we see. Martin Luther said this, and I quote, God our Father has made all things depend upon faith so that whoever has faith will have everything. And whoever does not have faith will have nothing. When we walk by sight, 
Uh, we make a move uh, only when we are able to see the form or the structure of what we're trying to attain. Uh, but this is very misleading, especially when we fail to be discerning. Uh, you look at things and you're thinking this is what it really is, and you find out uh, that you've experienced the bait and switch. Uh, that you think that you've been striving all of your life uh, for this one thing, then you finally get it, and you realize that uh, it's not all what it cracked up to be. I think uh, I, I may have told this story before, how one time I was, I won't even mention their name, uh, but I was doing a performance uh, with these stars. Uh, yes, they were stars, and I had, had arrived early, and I was uh, on my way to the green room, and as I was on my way to the green room, some of these stars, they were having a fist fight backstage. I'm like, what kind of mess is this? You guys are supposed to, uh, you guys are stars. You guys have sold millions and millions and millions of records, and here you are backstage having a fist fight. You see, uh, when you try to attain for all those things that you have wanted for all your life, that once you get there, you may discover that it ain't nothing. So God tells us that it's important that we frame all of life according to his word, that we frame all of life according to his spirit, and that we frame all of life according to the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And you can certainly be a disciple of Jesus who lives by faith. What it requires of us is to place uh, all of our weight on what Jesus has said uh, versus what we hear the world whispering to us. That world that tells us, you know what, uh, it's okay to don't treat your wife all right. Go ahead and treat her bad and then go to church and act like everything is okay. Uh, that whisper that we hear in the world that says, you know, even to the wise, you ain't got to listen to what he says. He ain't even got no job. Or that whisper that whispers into our children that says, it's okay to act a fool at school and then act real nice when you get home and you'll be okay. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, God is saying that, uh, that we must live by faith as if God is always watching because God is always. So if our faith is cemented and we have confidence what should we do? And here it is. While living in the in-between, we must focus on pleasing the Lord. While living in the in-between, we must focus on pleasing the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. All right, here it is. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. God gives us all an express purpose for living. Now listen to what Paul says here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, and uh, you know this verse, he says, uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to prevent, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, or holy, and guess what? Pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is the same word, uh, pleasing, that we found here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, the exact same word. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
For the fruit of life is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern, right here he's saying it again, uh, verse 10, Ephesians 5, 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So in other words, Paul is saying that when you live your life, when you raise your family, when you're on your job, when you're in the grocery store, when you're driving down, uh, try to find out if what I'm doing pleases God. Does it please God? So the first thing that we must do is we must make up our mind to please him. Right? You can hear all the messages that you want to, right? Uh, many of us have heard uh, thousands and thousands of preachers preach messages over the years. But yet we have not made it up in our mind that we would actually please the Lord. Yeah, you may not know all of what God wants of you, but you must put yourself in a position that, yes, I am going to please him. It's very interesting. We find it a lot easier to try to please people because you know how people, they, you know, uh, you, we, we want to get in their pocket, right? They have something that we want, so I'm going to try to please them. It's okay for me, to, uh, for me to please my boss because if I don't please him, I ain't got no job, and if I ain't got no job, I ain't got no money. But when I think about what does it mean to be a godly husband, or what, when I think about what does it mean to be a godly wife, or here it is, or what does it mean to be a godly single, Paul says that even singles that you should be a single person. He says this word here, uh, singles pleasing the Lord. Singles. So therefore... Uh, we must try to figure out, make up in our mind that, yes, I, I must please God with where I am. I must not be in a place that I must be, uh, that, that I'm a complainer all the time. I either change my situation or I stay where I am, but I must not uh, stay where I am and complain. But I must look future. What has God in store for my life? Seek the Lord while he may be found. So it is true that our purpose in life is one of our main purposes to worship the Lord. But realize that we have got you. We must please him as well. Here are a couple of verses as well. Of what specifically am I talking about? Romans chapter 15 verse 1. I'm going to run through this really quick. Uh, be patient with those who are not yet strong in their faith. There it is. Be patient with those who are not yet strong in their faith. That means, right, and I know you don't want to hear this, but I'm going to say it anywhere. That means there's been some folks who are in the church, and they're still immature, right, because they've heard thousands and thousands of messages, but yet they have not implemented God's word into their life. So they're still walking around here like a bunch of baby Christians. And because they're walking around here like a bunch of baby Christians, uh, that they are weak in their faith. But he says that uh, we who are strong, uh, that those who are weak, we got to be patient with them. This is Romans 15 and 1. Number two, he says to live a consistent and godly life while increasing in what we know about God. You hear what it says? It didn't say that it is the church's responsibility to make sure that you increase in what you know about the Lord. Right? Yes, yeah, the church, according to Ephesians, the church exists in order to equip the saints. This is very, very true. We will equip you. But at the end of the day, it is your responsibility to grow up. 
right? Uh, yeah, I know that. You know, Jesus told Peter to feed my sheep. And Peter said, yes, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this, Lord. This is true. And this is what we do here at the Church of Chicago. But know that you must have a hunger for God's word and not a hunger for a show. Because if you're looking for a show, you're not going to get it here. One thing you will get is the word of God, and it is what it is. We can see this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Next, stay focused on the ministry that God has given you. Everyone in the church house, everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior has been given a gift. And because you have been given a gift, understand that you have a ministry that you should be operating in. If you're not operating in ministry, I'm going to tell you this, more than likely you're not using your gifts within the church. And if you're not using your gifts in the church, you are not pleasing the Lord. I'm going to tell you the truth. Uh, take a look at scripture. He says the reason that all of us have all these giftings within God's house is for uh, the growing up of the church. Uh, you, you want to see our church built up? Well, I'm telling you, scripture says uh, that we must use our gifting. Use our gifting. And when we do this, the church will grow. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 4, and then finally, do good, God says, and, and share with what you have. Do good and share with what you have. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. But, you know, you can discover many other ways to please the Lord if you were to search the scriptures for yourself. So we're going to concordance and look at the word please or pleasing. Just walk your way on through and try to find or read some of those verses and find out what does God uh, want me to do? How does God want me to please him? There's just a, a few that I picked out. Finally, understand this. Though living in the in-between, know that God is going to repay you for your actions. Even though we live in the in-between, God is going to repay you for your actions. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. i read that again. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So God says that he's going to pay us back. God says he's going to pay you back. God says that he's going to pay me back for all the things that I have done in the body, whether good or evil. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't, uh, I thought that uh, since I knew Jesus Christ and I'm on my way to heaven and all this other stuff, I'm good to go. But I want you to know that, hold on, wait a minute, one second, that God says that he is not going to ignore the fact that you say that you loved him, but yet you live a life contrary to all that you know about him. Uh, one thing about this, uh, this judgment seat is called the Bema seat. 
Uh, typically, it would be a platform, something uh, like this, but it would be kind of a little bit larger with many, many steps going up. And at the very top, there would be like one chair. And then your government official or your king or whoever it would be, they would sit there in judgment. And if uh, you uh, were accused of something or you needed some help with something, you would go to the judgment seat, and then he'd make a decision. And that was that, and that was the end of that. It was no going to the Supreme Court. There wasn't no getting no lawyer. Uh-uh, I'm, going, it wasn't no, I'm going to get my mama. It wasn't any of that stuff. What it is is the fact that he makes a final determination on uh, whatever you bring to him or whatever is brought to him. And I want you to know that in heaven there will not be a backlog of cases like there is here in, in the county where we currently live at. That if you try to go get your, your case dismissed, look here, my case has been on the docket for the last, uh, last year or so. I just want to dismiss. And, and somebody you know, some of those cronies in office, they'll just say, I know him, he's going to get dismissed. This ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen, Captain. Uh, that, that, that once you stand before the Bama seat, uh, before Jesus Christ, know that there will be judgment. But in our text, it appears that only believers, in this case, only believers will appear before the Lord for judgment. But look at Matthew uh, chapter 25. So if you're an unbeliever, uh, he, God has something for you as well. Matthew 25, verses 32 through 34. Matthew 25, verses 32 through 34. Before him uh, will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Which one are you? Verse 33. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, <clears throat> you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But look at verse 41 in that same chapter. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Do you see what, what Jesus is saying here? He, what he's saying that you know, this eternal fire was not intended for people. Did you see that? Take a look at the passage, right? He says that it was prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for people. Why? Because as you recall, that we were all made how in his? So if we were initially made in his image, why would God create a place of hell for us? We were made in his image uh, that we were made to worship him and to be in relationship and fellowship with God. Uh, but because of the fall of uh, our predecessors, Adam and Eve, that that one big S sin that has gone down and threaded through all of humanity, we find ourselves in the fallen category. So there are those who will share in one of the falls. They will share eternal fire uh, because of one of the falls, either because you were of the fallen angels or because you're part of the group, the fallen fall of mankind. So our repayment will be based on our response to faith. 
Again, remember that what we have done in the body here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, whether good or evil. And here is an example of sowing and reaping. Here is an example of sowing and reaping. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also. You can't trick God. You can't run a game on God. He says, all that stuff that you've been sowing in your life, if you have not covered it under the blood of Jesus Christ and God has, has thrown it into the sea of forgiveness, if that has not been the case, you're in trouble. There is no getting out of this because God's principle is at work whether we agree with it or not. Well, you don't have to agree uh, with the speed limit here over here on Cicero. You can say, you know, they put these signs up. They don't mean nothing. I'm going to drive the way I want to drive. I said, well, go ahead with your bad self. In fact, you can complain to the sky turns purple, and you can refuse to obey the law, but that does not mean that law is not effect. The law is not any less strong because you don't agree with it. You can agree with it all you want to do. In fact, you go ahead and disagree with it. And you'll find uh, these nice men and women in these pretty press uh, uniforms sitting in nice shining cars with nice and bright red and blue lights just waiting for you to act a fool. The principles of sowing and reaping means the good you do on earth will be paid for you when you get to heaven. So when you live in fellowship with your brothers and sisters that this is part of the sowing. When you are mad at folks for no reason, you're trying to treat them wrong, guess what? That's also sowing. So you have a decision to make in your life. You will either sow the good and receive the good from God, or you will sow the bad and or receive uh, uh, you will sow the bad and receive the bad from God. You receive his discipline. Well, uh, we don't know exactly what all these uh, rewards will be when you get to heaven. It's not going to be, oh, yeah, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have me a Cadillac. Oh, yeah, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have me a mansion that's going to have a dishwasher because I ain't never had one. I always had to wash the dishes myself. Uh, it's going to have a, a, a five-car garage. I'm going to have me a Mercedes. I'm going to have me a this. And, oh, yeah, when I get to heaven, uh, don't be crazy. <laughs> we don't know what it is. We simply don't know. But if God says it, what? That settles it. Let's try it again, because I don't think you heard me. If God said it, then that settles it. That's the end of that. If God says that we're going to receive the reward, whether or not we know exactly what it is, don't worry about it, because God's word is concrete. It is sure, and it will not return to him void. Well, it's certain that the men who walked over 3,000 miles uh, from Liberia to Soweto, that they had something good to look forward to. For them, it was worth it. Enduring. Persevering through the desert, through the hunger, through the heat, just for a chance at a better life. I want you to know that in Christ Jesus, you have a sure word. You don't have to worry about being selected when you get there. All you, have to need, all you need to do is believe and to have faith. 
and that door will be open to you, and you live your life accordingly. Uh, no, I, I, I'm not saying that in order to uh, uh, be pleasing before the Lord, to do these particular things, uh, that this is a law we got to follow. No, we live by grace. I don't want you to get locked up into a yoke, a burden of doing. But I want you to know that if you live by faith, that living the life in the in-between becomes a little easier. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. Lord God, we thank you for your strength today. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord God.